to Psalm 119. We're going to be in verses 81 through 88. Doesn't that sound kind of weird, verses 81 through 88? Psalm 119, 81 through 88. Let me read through this passage and we'll talk about it. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Word of God, brothers and sisters. The uh, sermon for today is my soul longs, because I believe that's the, the tone of this passage in, in Psalm 119. But let me start out by sharing something that might not seem related at first. It's a familiar saying. I think we're, we, we've all heard it at one time or another, and we've heard it applied in a variety of different ways. But let, let me just put this before you. What you sow... Oh, who said that? Raise your hand. Very good. What you sow you will reap. Now, that's a quote from Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, now, where Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, he will also reap. And we've heard that applied a number of different ways. If, if, if you've listened to much of the prosperity gospel, it's usually linked to how much you give and the idea that the more you give, the more you get type thing. We, we'll talk about that someday. That's Lie from the pit of hell. But it's also linked to, sometimes you might have heard it taught, that the bad things you do, when you do bad things, you're going to reap bad things. Well, we're going to look at it in a little bit of a different light today. We're going to look at it in a different area of our life and see that this really is a universal biblical principle. Now, I want to be very careful here because there are passages in the Bible in which God says in describing his inimitable grace where he says things like, you will sow what you did not reap and, and so on and so forth. But we have a general biblical principle today and I want to apply that to another area of our life as we look at our passage. Now, Psalm 119 was the psalm that Fred Reed preached on at the end of October while uh, Kelly and I were on sabbatical. And uh, we found out some valuable stuff about Psalm 119. It's the longest psalm in the Bible, longest chapter in the Bible. It's broken up into 22 stanzas, if you want to call them. Each one of them is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And, you know, as we go through psalms, as we look at them, uh, we find out that a lot of times the message in the psalm is in the structure of the psalm, not necessarily in the words that are spoken, but in how the words are spoken. And we get our first hint in Psalm 119 by the fact that it, it, it's what they call an acrostic. Again, each stanza begins with the letter of, of the Hebrew alphabet. And that in itself is a message. 
Now, the alphabet's important to the Hebrew people. What they would have heard when they saw this acrostic set up is that the psalm covers everything from beginning to end. I mean, what do we know about Jesus? God says of himself, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. And, and along with that saying comes the idea that I'm everything in between as well. And then we find out God is before the beginning and, and after the end. But that's the, the, the significance of the alphabet is that it covers everything. So oh, your entire language is made up of the letters of the alphabet. And this is what the Jews would have seen when they saw this acrostic. So Psalm 119 covers everything, and there's an overwhelming emphasis in Psalm 119 on the Word of God. They're called ordinances, they're called commandments, the Word is called statutes, and it, just every other line has something to do with the Word of God. Well, in our passage today, we're at the uh, Hebrew letter kaf, and the passage answers a question that has to do with a particular area of life. This is the third of three stanzas that cover our need for God, the psalmist's need for God. And this one here asks a question, a question about our need for God. And the question it asks is, what does one of the children of God do when he's in trouble? How does he respond to trouble? Not only how does he respond to trouble, but how does he respond to trouble when he doesn't seem to be hearing from God? There are eight verses in here. And again, the meaning is in the structure of the verses. And I want to kind of break this down for you. And I want to spend a lot of time on it. We've got a lot of room to cover this morning. And it's New Year's Eve. And I know everybody has plans. So we'll get you out by three. So if, if we take a look at every other line, we see this in in verse 81, he says, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. So he has this longing. There's, there's an emptiness that he feels, but he has hope in God's word. And then in verse 83, two verses down, for I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. Now, this is a cultural thing. Wineskins were used for more than just putting wine in. Frequently, they would, they would put wine in a wineskin, hang it in a tent, uh, somewhere near where they were cooking, and the smoke from the fire would give the wine a particular flavor. Uh, but if they wanted to make yogurt, they would put milk in the wineskin and put it near the ashes for a certain period of time over low heat. The heat from the fire would uh, turn the milk into yogurt. So they couldn't overheat it. It's kind of delicate. But the problem was that whether or not they were trying to get a certain flavor to their wine, whether or not they were trying to make yogurt, the wineskin would begin to get brittle. It would begin to toughen. And if too much heat was applied to the wineskin, the wineskin would, would break. So he's saying, I become like a wineskin in the smoke. I'm brittle. I'm, I'm kind of at the end. I may break here. Yet I have not forgotten your statutes. So I hope in your word, yet I have not forgotten in your statutes. My soul longs, I've become brittle. And in verse 85, for the insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. And inherent in that statement right there is, they're not living uh, as a child of God, but I am. So you can see, that there's, there's a little bit of impatience here, maybe a little bit of frustration. 
Then in verse 7, 87, they have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. So you see, every other verse, he's kind of stating his position. I'm, I'm trying to be faithful. I'm doing everything I can, I, everything I know to be a follower of you and to honor you in the way I'm living, but my life is falling apart. This man is a faithful man. He lives for God. And he knows God's word. He's familiar with it. But he's in trouble. He's surrounded maybe. And it seems, it seems like he's not hearing from God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at that point in your life where you feel brittle? You feel like the, the bad guys are making out better than you are? You look around you and, you know, I, I don't understand. I'm doing everything I can to be faithful. I, I know I'm not perfect, but I, I, I seem to be better than these people that are oppressing me, these people that seem to be making out. Have you ever felt empty and alone, like you've cried out to the Lord and he's just not answering? I think we're all familiar with that feeling. We can relate. But, but this man here says, I, my hope is in your word, not, not in how I feel. I've got to admit, I'm not feeling very good. But my hope is in your word. I have not forgotten your statutes. I realize you're not living according to law. I'm doing the best I can, but I have not forsaken your precepts. He's holding on to the Word of God desperately in spite of how he feels. Now we know that he feels this way when we look at the rest of the verses, the lines in between the ones we just spoke of, okay? In verse 82, my eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? He has no comfort. Verse 84, how long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? See, he knows the word of God. He knows that judgment is coming upon those who oppose God and his people. He gets this. And then in verse 86, all of your commandments are sure. They per persecute me with falsehood. He says, help me. He's thinking. Send me. Send me a life ring. Help me, Father. Can we relate to that? It's a desperate cry for help. He's waiting. But, but he's faithful. And he's not, he's not bragging about his faithfulness. This isn't an arrogant statement of, of how good he's been and all the things he's done for God. He's not standing there going, well, of course I'm saved. I sang in a choir for 15 years, and I've, been a, I've got an attendance uh, 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 certificate for Sunday school, and I'm a voting member, and so on and so forth. He's not listing his accomplishments. He's talking about his devotion to his Father in heaven. He's literally saying, I'm doing the best I can. And we know that by looking at the last line. Verse 88. In your steadfast love, give me life that I might keep the testimonies 
of your mouth. Wow. He wants to be saved. He wants help. He wants deliverance. But look at why. He says, save me. Give me life that I may keep. Now the word for keep here is I may observe, I may conform to the testimonies of your mouth. What are the testimonies of God's mouth? His word. What's the testimony of your mouth? The words you speak. This man wants to conform to God's word. He wants God to deliver him to bring judgment on the enemies of God and those who oppose him so that he can conform to the testimonies of God's mouth. Did you catch that? He wants to be saved. He wants to be delivered so that he can honor God in how he conforms to God's word. I think this is incredible. Now, what, what do we learn from that? Well, the first thing we learn is that the man knows God's word. Somebody say amen. He knows God's word. It, he knows God's word well enough to say that my hope is in it. My faith is in it. I'm depending upon it. I've got nothing else to hold on to right now other than God's word. And I know that you, God, are faithful and true. And Now, he doesn't have the long history that we have when we look at the history of the Jewish people, but he's got about half of it. And he sees that God has been faithful all throughout the, 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 the choosing of Abraham, um, the migration to Egypt, the deliverance out of Egypt, the law, the, you know, the coming back to the promised land by then, you know, then David has risen up as king. He's watched God being faithful to his people even as they are not. So he knows that God's not demanding perfection. He knows that God's looking for a contrite heart. This man has it. And he has it because he knows God's word. So what should we learn from that? We should read God's word. Now look, I take a lot of flack over this. I had somebody on staff a while ago. Uh, this is quite some time ago, so it's not Scott or Diane. <laughs> Come up to me and say, you know, John... There's a lot more to teaching than just read God's word. And you talk about it too much. I went, really? Yes. I said, let me ask you something. Have you read God's word today? Well, no. Okay. Did you read it yesterday? No, no, I didn't. When was the last time you spent some time in God's word? It's been about three weeks, maybe a couple months. I said, so you're not reading God's word. And he looked at me and I said, so read God's word. I mean, we got to start somewhere, <laughs> right? That's where we are. We got to start somewhere. If we're going to have any hope, 
If we're going to put our faith and trust in God, it's got to be in something more than how we feel about things. It's got to be in something more than, than what we get here on Sunday mornings, brothers and sisters. You know, uh, we, we've got about 90 minutes with you. 45 minutes for Sunday school and 45 minutes or so with a sermon. So we've got about 90 minutes, and, and, and I call these the teaching hours. So we're here to equip you with the word. We're here to equip you to walk through that door and live the gospel to be a demonstration, a witness, a testimony to God and his transformative power in you. But you've got the rest of the week. So I get 90 minutes. You get the rest. What are you going to do with that time? We should read God's word. Now, in order to keep God's word, in order to observe God's word, in order to be conformed to God's word, we have to know it. Okay, so see, we're changed, we're transformed by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? Okay, and we're supposed to exhibit that change, we're supposed to be being conformed to God's image. Amen? We're being changed into God's image, right? Don't you think we should know what the image is? It's not a picture we see in a book. The image of God is the character and nature of God. So we have to understand as God is molding us and shaping us, he's changing us into his character and nature so that we can be a witness to him out there in the world. So we have to understand what his character and nature is. And we can't get that through osmosis. I told you, I used to sleep with my Bible under my pillow thinking that the Holy Spirit would do something magical at night. And I used to run around saying to people, God has written his word on my heart. It's true. You're saved. He's written his word on your heart. Somebody say amen. You need to read it. <laughs> Not just written. I mean, he's written the word in the book. So it doesn't just kind of come flowing from us. We have to be familiar with it. How can we know what we're being conformed into if we don't know who he is? How do we know who he is? By reading our Bible. Anybody read a book this year other than the Bible? One person, thank you, okay. Oh, a bunch of you. Remember what the book was? If you go back and read it again, would you know the book Better if you read it again? Were you able to absorb everything in that book the first time you read it? Do you have a favorite book that you've read a number of times other than the Bible? Some of us do. Let me ask you this. Do you have a favorite movie that you've seen more than once? Do you enjoy watching it over and over again? I mean, how many of us sit down and watch a Christmas story every, every Christmas, right? I mean, we talk about the Red Rider B because we know the whole thing, right? Well, we know that because we've watched it over and over and over again. The, the same thing is true of the Bible, except that the Bible is God's living word. It's alive. 
Now, it's one of the exercises we do in Apollos. We give everybody a, a passage that they're going to work with during the entire class. And we ask them to read it every day. And we get the same response every time. You know, about two weeks in, they're like, why are we reading this every day? You know, I say, well, you just keep at it. You'll be all right. And about three or four weeks in, people start saying, gosh, I saw something today I've never seen before. How many times have you sat down and looked at a favorite passage of yours and seen something new in it? I mean, it happens when we begin devoting ourselves to the Bible. It comes alive. Things begin jumping off the, the, the paper. Well, that's the Holy Spirit in us drawing us towards the Father, informing us of who the Father is, what his character and nature is, telling us what we're being conformed into, and revealing his character and nature through the reading of the Word. So when, the more we do it, the more we grow. So reading the Bible is not like, well, if I can just do that this year, if I can get all the books in, then I'm done, then I can move on to something more important. Reading the Bible is a lifelong project. It's part of our daily lives. It's why we're here. It's why we were saved so that we can model the precepts, the ordinances, the statutes to the rest of the world and show them that we're changed. So I want you to consider this very carefully. As we get a little deeper into this, you will reap what you sow. How many hours in a week? Anybody know? 168. Thank you, Alvin. We had 168 hours in a week. Think about this. How many do we sleep? Let's, let's just say we're getting an average of seven hours sleep a night or so. I know some of you people are going to wish. I know some of you people, only seven? Are you kidding me? Yeah. That, that's 49 hours that we're lying in bed asleep. That leaves us 119 hours. How many, how many hours a week are we at work? Don't answer. I know we got different answers than that. How many, how many are you commuting? If you live in the D.C. area, you may be commuting 12 to 14 hours a week. How many, how many hours do you spend with your spouse, with your children? How many hours do you watch TV? How many hours do you spend reading your email or text? Just think about it for a second. I'm not, I know a lot of us are thinking, oh, I only spend a few minutes a day, 15 times a day. <laughs> okay. how, how many hours do you spend on Facebook? How many hours a week do you spend developing your relationship with your Father in heaven? How many hours a week do you spend reading your Bible? Now these are the questions I had to ask myself as I'm preparing this. I've got to tell you, sometimes I don't turn out real well. Yet the Bible tells us to seek what first? And I would, I would conjecture to say that the number of hours we spend on certain activities during the week will indicate what we're seeking. 
Okay, so we're, we're going to do some participation here. Um, we're going to read some, some uh, passages that, that talk about how we seek his kingdom, how we seek his word. Uh, so I'm going to call out some, pa- some, some scripture verses, and I'm going to ask you to stand up and read them. So when, if you're going to stand up and read it, do it in a big voice so everybody can hear, uh, so the people downstairs can hear. Uh, Joshua 1.8. Anybody who gets it, just stand up and read Nehemiah 8.13. If anybody downstairs gets it, stand up and read it downstairs, please. We won't hear you, but somebody up here will do it. Nehemiah 8.13. Then on the second day, the heads of father's households and all the people, the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe, that they might gain insight into the words of the law. Amen. Romans 10.17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active. Amen. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Amen. We heard that at the beginning of the service. Psalm 119.11 I word that I hid in my heart that I might not sin against it. Amen, Pat. You did that with your Bible closed. I'm impressed. <laughs> and Job 23.12 I have not departed from the commandments of his list. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of you see how important the word is? I mean, that's just a handful of passages that speak as to the vitality of the word in our walk. It's there to equip us. It's there to edify us. It's there to nourish us. It's there to make us ready to be the ambassadors that we're called to be. The word is there to help us walk in a manner worthy of our calling. The word is important. And it's so important that it should be read daily. It should be read systematically. And systematically is important because we need the full counsel of God. We need more than, than just snippets here and there. We can't rely on, I'm going to open up the Bible and look at this today and read from wherever I open it up on. We need to, we need to understand the entire story of God. That's what the last two sermons were about. As we walk through the Old Testament and the New Testament and showed you how all of these books are woven together, that they tell one story, that there's a narrative arc that goes through the Bible, starting with Genesis, going all the way to Revelation, and every one of those books reveals something about the character and nature of God that we need to know in order to be conformed to his image. So we need to read it daily, we need to read it systematically but it's not just that we need to read it we need to read it in the right fashion it's how we read the bible 
Because oddly enough, there are wrong ways to read the Bible. And I'm probably not going to say anything new to you, but there are wrong ways to read the Bible. What are they? Well, we can read the Bible to see what it says about us. I can read the Bible so I can learn more about me and what gifts I have and what rights I have and what privileges I have and how much God loves me and, and, and on and on and on and on. And, and, and I, I got to tell you, you know, if a lot of churches you go to today will tell you that it's about you. And, you know, to a certain extent, that's true. It's true. God is revealing his glory through you. He saved you because he loves you. But he saved you for his glory. We're supposed to be billboards. We're supposed to be demonstrations of his grace. And the focus is on him. When we understand that, we get called deeper. We go deeper. So we can read it about ourselves, but it's much better to read it about God. We can read the Bible, check this out, so that we can learn about somebody near us. Maybe not necessarily because we're interested in their welfare. I mean, how many times have you read a passage? You go to, you wait till such and such hears this. You know, judge not lest ye be judged. Well, he just judged me. I'm going to show him this verse right here. So we can read it about ourselves. We can read it about someone else and try to apply the truth to someone else without applying them to our own lives, maybe. We can read the Bible without thinking about it. I mean, I've been there. I'm sure you have been, too. Got to get through three chapters today. We can read the Bible as a chore, as a job we have to do. And when we get done, we look up at God and say, see, I got through it. I get to check that little mark off on you version. We can read our favorite passages. Have you done that? I don't like Romans 7. I really don't like Romans 9. I'm not going to read it. I don't like this Old Testament stuff. I don't like the genealogies. Their names are too hard hope they don't ask me to read it out loud we can read our favorite passages and kind of get a narrow view of everything that's going on I, I, I you know what I asked you a little bit earlier did you have a book that you read this year you know have you ever picked up a book and just said I'm just going to read a few passages here and there and then think that you got the whole thing let me know how that works with gone with the wind We do our favorite passage, the wrong way to read it. We could read the Bible only when we need it. Only when we're struggling, when we're trying to make a decision, when we're in trouble, when things aren't going our way. Or we can read the Bible only when we feel like it. I'm not in a very good mood today. I don't feel much like learning about God. I've got more important things to do. Those are all wrong ways. But there are right ways to read it as well. And these are no-brainers. We've been over them before, but it's always good to have a reminder. That's what we do at the end of the year. We remind you that it's a good idea to read your Bible daily, and that's what we're doing right now.
here are some of the things you can do to read it the right way. First thing you do is you need to make a decision. You need to make a decision you're going to read the Word of God. You're going to read it systematically. You're going to read it daily. So you make that decision. You choose a viable plan. And you don't overreach. How many of you have seen Professor Grant Horner's Bible reading program? It's awesome. It's awesome. It is so complicated. (laughs) The... uh, uh, so, you know, how many, uh, somebody sent me a Bible reading plan, you can finish the Bible in three months. And I looked at it, and I went, well, who has time for this? <laughs> I mean, well, I want to devote some time to God, but I can't devote all of my time to God. I do got to get up and go to work, okay? So three months is a pretty heavy-duty reading program, okay? So we don't want to overreach. Uh, a plan that is too big, a plan that is too ambitious for where we start uh, is easy to fall away from. So we have to be careful. You know, something that takes 10 or 15 minutes a day. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, you know what? It, it, you may find something that takes 10 min- or 15 minutes a day and be comfortable with that, but you may never have really engaged in a daily Bible reading program, and you need to start out a little bit lighter. It's okay. It's okay to read a paragraph a day. It's okay to read a chapter a day. You know, we're not fighting some kind of calendar schedule thing here that has to be done. We're trying to read the entire Bible. And if you need to start out slow, starting out slow is okay. There's nothing wrong with it. So pick a plan that works for you. You can read with a friend, somebody who's going to call you or or text you or email you or or whatever and say, okay, I read my my two or three chapters and, and give you some accountability. You can make your plan as accessible as possible. For those of us that are busy, this is important. There are all sorts of plans you can do on your phone, you can do on the computer, you can print things out and carry them with you. There are a lot of different ways you can do it. But look at your options and make it easy. Did it do whatever you need to do to make it as easy as possible to engage? We have a number of people that have Bible on CD or DVD or on their iPhone and they play it on their way into work on their way home. You should probably try and set a specific time, you know, have some regularity to do this. I've learned that if I don't start out my day with Bible reading, I never get to it. If the first thing I look at is email, I'm lost. You know, I, you know, I do a posting every day for this, and my temptation is to get up in the morning and make sure that my posting is up on Facebook because I can't automate the personal ones. I can automate the, the one for the WBF group. That's why you see WBF notice goes out every morning at 4.30 a.m. I'm not up. <laughs> you want to know what time I get up, you can take a look at my personal Facebook feed. But I've learned that if I get up and click on that Facebook and open it so that I can do my feed before I start anything else, I never get to the anything else. So I try to start my day with the Word of God. Now, maybe that won't work for you. Maybe you need to get up at 4 a.m. and be out of the house at 4.20 a.m. because you're carpooling or something. That's fine. Set a regular time and try to stick to it. And if you fall behind, this is important. If you fall behind, don't worry about getting caught up. Don't worry. I mean, it's not going to happen. You fall behind three or four days, you're toast. (laughs) 
That's the way it worked for me. And that was a failure for me every time I tried to start a Bible reading program in the past. I'd get behind a couple days. I'd just forget. And two, three days, four days behind, I'm like, you know what? I'll just start again next year. So if you fall behind, just pick up where you left off. Again, we're not trying to complete the calendar. We're trying to complete the Bible. And the other thing that I want to suggest is that you resist making this a study time. Uh, don't, don't go in and do your word studies. Don't check the commentaries. You can highlight stuff, go back to it later on, but get through your reading. Don't make it a study time because I, I will guarantee you if you try to understand this, if you're, you know, the first day you spend an hour in it, the second day you spend an hour, hour and a half, by the third day or so, you're going to start running out of time. So let this be a reading and assimilation plan. Highlight the things you want to go back to and then go back and do it. Resist the urge to go deep in your study. Uh, at the very least, by the time you're done, you can pick up a commentary if you want to, but don't do that until you're done. The other thing that, and maybe the most important thing of all, is you need to pray about this. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. You need to ask for counsel and guidance. And then you need to, you need to meditate on what you read. Don't just put it down and walk away from it. Carry it with you. You know, I, I found that it's very helpful to sit there for five or six minutes and just think about what I just read. And now, I'm not talking about you don't have to sit there and you don't have to light a candle, you don't have to burn incense or anything. I'm saying don't just close the Bible and put it aside and go, okay, I'm done for the day. Think about what you just read. Think about how it might apply to your life, what it revealed to you about the character and nature of God and how it might change the way you walk today. Now, I've got to admit, when you get into genealogies and that sort of thing, that may be a little bit difficult. It's okay. It's okay. Just think about it. I've got to tell you, after, I, I think I'm at 10 years now of working through a daily Bible reading program, the genealogies are beginning to make sense to me. <laughs> I, I would never have told you that 10 years ago, but I'm, I'm beginning to get run, running through them, and I'm beginning to recognize names. Oh, wait a minute, I know who that guy is. You know, oh, uh, it's funny. Look at that family over there, things like that. So if you're faithful to it, things will start coming together in a fashion that you didn't anticipate because you're learning the full counsel of God. Now, we're going to make this easy for you again this year. Uh, matter of fact, we're going to make it easier than we did last year. This year, together, if you want to read the Bible together, we're going to do the canonical plan. Now, I know that sounds uh, uh, very theological, but all it means is we're going to start... Uh, with Genesis, and we're going to end with Revelation on December 31st, uh, just like we did this year. So the way we're going to do this is we're going to send an email out to all of you. Uh, now, yeah, you're going to receive the email. I know some of you want to opt out. It's okay. Just send Diane a note and tell, tell her or send me a note that you want to opt out. That's all right. You don't have to. Uh, but we're going to put everybody on the plan so that everybody can see what it looks like. The email will look like this. And it's got two links in it. Well, if you're not familiar with what a link is, uh, they're the, the, the letters that are a different color with a line under it. Uh, now, the top link in the email will take you to that reading on the Internet at uh, uh, Blue Letter Bible. Okay? The bottom link will take you to my blog posting, which will add some commentary. So, you don't have to do both. Um, do not read the commentary and not read the passage. Okay, 
uh, read the passage first. If you want to go to the commentary, you can click on that second link in the email. That'll take you to commentary, which will have a link to the reading as well. So, uh, you, and, and once you're in the commentary, you can click on the link to the reading, or you can hover over the passages that are in there, and they'll pop up on your screen. That's a special program. Now, you can do that, or you can go to our website, uh, wbfva.org, and you can click on any panel that says Daily Bread. That's what we call the program, Daily Bread, your daily nourishment. Um, uh, sometimes there'll be a large one up there. Sometimes there'll be a small one. Uh, the small one is down in what we call the quick links, and that will always take you to, to the commentary where you can click on the link for the daily reading. Now, if you want to choose a different plan, you can go to the WBF website, and from there you can click on Church Life. Now, all this is in your handout, so you can follow it. And from Church Life, you can click on Equipping Ministries, and from that page, you can click on Links, and then go to Bible reading plans. Now, there'll be a variety of Bible reading plans here. We've got hard copies to hand out at the end of the service. There are also online services you can use if you don't like any of those plans. You want to you, you come up with something different. That's fine. Uh, you can go to Bible.com. Uh, now, some of you have version on your phones. How many of you have that? A number of people. version comes out of Bible.com. So you can go online to Bible.com, sign up for a Bible reading plan. You can download version to your phone or to your iPad and follow your plan there. It'll prompt you on a daily basis. That, that's what I use. That's the basis for everything that I do. I start with version to make sure that, that we're all on the same uh, set of passages. Uh, you can go to blueletterbible.com. Uh, if you go there, you can go to their devotional tab and then to daily Bible reading. Uh, they've got a variety of different plans. It's a great site. You can go to the uh, Crossway uh, uh, English Standard Version site, the ESV.org. And as you go to their homepage, click on the little calendar icon in the upper right. There's a variety of, of daily Bible reading plans in there. There's a new app coming out in the springtime. Uh, it's called Dwell. And I, I got a pre-release version of this one. This is an awesome Bible app. Uh, it's going to run about 30 bucks a year to subscribe to it, uh, but it, it, they recite the Bible in a variety of different voices. There's a little bit of background music. The readings are excellent. And the great thing about Dwell is you can designate your reading for the day and it'll read the whole thing for you. Most of the other Bible apps, you've got to keep clicking them to go from chapter to chapter. So Dwell will be one of the new breed of uh, Bible reading programs uh, when, when they're getting ready to introduce, I'll get the information to you if you're interested in it. So we also have hard copies for you this morning. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay these out here. We have the historical plan. Now the historical plan is uh, a Bible reading plan based on when the books were written. So they go from the date the books were written uh, beginning with Genesis, going all the way through. It's kind of interesting. I haven't tried that one out yet, but it's, it, it might be worth taking a look at it. We have the Professor Grant Horner's plan. Uh, this is an eight-month plan, if you've ever done it before. It really is incredible the way they have arranged the books. It's 
10 chapters a day. Uh, you'll finish up in September, um, at which point you can start again if you like. The, uh, uh, I know a number of people that have done Grant Horner and then picked up Psalms and Proverbs in October or even the New Testament, so that works as well. We have the every word plan. If you're really stuck for time and you can't devote a lot of time, you can't devote 15 minutes a day or so to it, uh, this is a three-year plan on the Bible, and it's literally a five- or six-minute-a-day plan. So that's the every word plan. We have the chronological plan. This is one of my favorite ones. Uh, it takes you through the Bible uh, chronologically in the order that the events in the book happen. So uh, it gets real interesting when you're in a, uh, the, the, the Sam's, the Kings and Chronicles and Acts because they're kind of spread out throughout the history of the Bible. We have the canonical plan. This is the one that we're doing as a group if you need a hard copy of that. And then we have the five by five by five plan. Uh, this is a five-day reading. Uh, it gives you the weekends off. Um, it will take you through the New Testament in one year. Um, it's a really good plan for somebody who's never done a Bible reading before. And I promise you, if, if the, the whole thing's intimidating, um, if, if you struggle a little bit with some of the wording and everything in the Old Testament, that's a good place to start because it will whet your appetite for daily Bible reading. It takes you through the New Testament in one year. Why is this so important? Somebody said, are you going to do the Bible reading thing again at the beginning of the year? I said, yep. I'll tell you why it's important to me. I'm responsible for your spiritual welfare. Me, the elders, the staff, we will all answer for each of you one day. God's not going to ask us how many times we were over at your house for dinner. He's going to ask us whether or not we did our best to equip you with the Word of God. I'm trying to share with you the things that have impacted my life and caused this transformation to move along. This is hard. It looks easy on December 31st. Long about January 4th or 5th, it looks pretty hard. It takes some deliberation. It takes a commitment. I promise you, I promise you that it will enrich in your life. I promise you that if you can commit to doing this, if you can get through the first 30 days, it'll be a habit. If you can commit to do this, you will begin thinking, and you've never done it before. If you can commit to do this and you've never done it before, you will begin thinking about some things differently than you have in the past. Because you will have the benefit of the full counsel of God's word. Now, if you'll do that, then the moment that I stand before my Father in heaven, and he says, what have you done with my sheep? I can faithfully say I didn't eat them. I didn't take advantage of them. I did the best I could to equip them to live the gospel in our community. This is part of it. You know we have a high view of God's word. You know that me 
Scott, Diane, Brenda, each of the elders take our responsibilities seriously about this, that those two 45-minute sections that we have each Sunday morning, we do the very best we can to encourage you, to nourish you, to edify you, to equip you to be Christians, to equip you to be conformed to the image of God. Now, the Holy Spirit's going to do the one, the one who convicts and comforts, but right now, right now, the Spirit is in this room telling you you need to read your Bible. And how you respond to that will determine how you navigate the difficult waters like our psalmist in 119 does. What you sow, you will reap. And I just want to encourage you this year, if you make any resolutions at all, make a resolution to sow more time into your understanding of who God is. Amen? So I'm going to ask you, after we close in a song, I'm going to ask you to come up here and grab one of these. Take a look. Grab one of each of them, whatever. We'll make more. If we run out, email, we'll send them to you. If you want an electronic copy, we'll send them to you. We'll do anything we can to help you along with this. But I'm going to ask you to make the commitment and see what the Holy Spirit does with that. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the incredible depth and richness of it. We thank you that throughout your word, Father, there's the encouragement to immerse ourselves in it. Father, not that we might become academically astute, Father, but that we might become a humble follower of your son, Jesus Christ and be a better reflection of him to a world that so desperately needs to see that your word is true. So we pray that you would move among us today, Father. Enable us, strengthen us, deepen our resolve, Father, that we might walk in a manner worthy of our calling. In Jesus' name.